And seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to 1 John chapter 4, and reading for our text, verse 19. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. Our text speaks of an order, something that happens first and then something that follows and is put in the way of that which happens after that proves what has happened before. The first that we know of God first loving us is that we love him. And for those that have the love of God shed abroad in their hearts and know that they love him, they know this truth, that the reason why they love him is because he first loved us. Right from the beginning of the word of God, God sets before us the need of an order. With the creation, if you read what uh, the Lord did in those six days of creation, the first three days was preparing places. He prepared the heavens and the uh, universe or where the sun, the moon and the stars are now And then he prepared the sky and the sea. And then he prepared the earth and land and the Garden of Eden. And then in the remaining three days, he populated those. He put the sun, the moon and the stars in the heavens. He put the fish in the sea, the birds in the air. And then he put land animals upon the land and then lastly man And man not just anywhere on the earth, but in a prepared garden. And so God very clearly shows that order of preparation first, and then putting those things into it. And those of you that you do gardening, you would know that the first thing you've got to do is to prepare the ground, and then you put the seed in it. You wouldn't put the seed first in a a bit of weedy ground and then decide that now you put the seed in, you better turn it over and and dig it up and make it a proper seed bed. There is a very needful order. Those of you that do dressmaking or those that do making cakes or anything like that, all the time there is an order. Just about every profession that we can think of There is an order. If someone is building a house, they put the foundation first and then they build upon it. They don't do uh, the other, uh, the, the top structure before the foundation is there. And the Apostle Paul said in the things of God that the law comes first. The law is a schoolmaster unto Christ. By the law is the knowledge of sin. And the Lord says that he came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so there is a conviction of sin first, a need of the Saviour, and then the Saviour is revealed. And right the way through Scripture is that order. 
And we think of in Romans chapter 8, where we have the beautiful order there of the foreknowledge of God for his people and how that then right flows right through to glory. If I can uh, turn to it, we have the order beginning of all things working together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, for foreknowledge of God, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, and whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. And of course, often it is, it is in the calling that we find ourselves first when God quickens into life and calls. And we are to know then from that calling that God always did predestinate. He always appointed that in this world we would be called and we would be like him, not like the world. We would be sinners and sinners trusting in him and seeking his ways. And then we know from that, even going further back, that actually we had been elected and loved eternally. And so when we are called, we can trace, because of Scripture, because of the Word of God, trace back to what led up to us being called. And then we can go forwards and to see also that being called, we're also justified, that is free from guilt and free from condemnation. And we also then will be glorified as well. So in the Lord, quickening, calling, giving the new birth, bringing us a spiritual life, we can go back and we can go forward. And those things are all linked together and all in an order. But where we come into that order is not necessarily at the beginning. Don't fall into the thought and saying, well, I must know that I am elect first. That's what I must know. Uh, no, the order is, is to know our election by our calling. And the same here. We could have those who say, I want to know that God loves me, that he loves me eternally. No, the important thing is that we be brought to love God and when we love God, then we will know that the reason why we love him is because he has loved us first. And that order is very, very important. So I want to look then with the Lord's help. Firstly, the doctrine or the teaching of the love of God. And then secondly, the manifestation of the love of God to us. That is, how God's love is actually shown to us. How we actually know that love. How he imparts it to us. And then thirdly, our love to God in return. We love him because 
he first loved us. But firstly, the doctrine of the love of God. It has been said, and there is actually a book written with the title, The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. It is a mystery. It is a difficult doctrine to to understand, to comprehend. In the portion here, John deals with it very concisely from one angle and then another, but very clearly makes the statement in this chapter that God is love. In verse 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And then in verse 16 as well, we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So we have that clear statement. It's a good thing when we come to such clear statements as that, that in a way I quite often picture in my mind it's like putting a stake in the ground and saying, well, whatever else comes at this doctrine, at this teaching, this can never change. God doesn't turn into a tyrant. He doesn't turn into someone that is not love. He is love. That belongs to him. And all must point to that same description. But there comes the the difficulty, you might think, because... How is it that a God of love could then take his only begotten son and allow him, yea, command him to come to this world and to endure the contradiction of sinners against himself, to suffer the death of the cross, to be mocked, to be ridiculed, to be nailed to the accursed tree, how could he hide his face from him? How could he endure and put the wrath of God on his own beloved son and this be a God of love? And many of the things that the objections in men's hearts as to God, to his love, to the things that he does or permits in this world, often they can be resolved or seen more clearly when we come to Calvary. We come to how God dealt with his only begotten Son. And when we see the two sides of it, as Peter says, that he who was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands crucified and slain. And so the guilt of his crucifixion was charged rightly to men. It was by their wicked hands. But then the overruling purpose and bringing it about was under God's command and God's ordering of it. God is not the author of sin or of evil, but when sin entered into the world and death by sin, it is God that turns that evil 
into good. A love of God must be also consistent, consistent with God's holiness. It must be consistent with his love of that which is good and if that is the case it must be also a hatred to sin and evil. We read in Psalm 97, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. God is angry with the wicked every day. That doesn't seem consistent with love, but it is consistent with the love of a holy, pure God. God that cannot look upon iniquity, but with utter abhorrence. And love then is to be a love that is to be understood. In Psalm 107 we read of a people that often went away from the Lord and they fell down, there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord and the Lord saved them out of their distresses. Many things that God's people went through. And at the end of that psalm it says, that he that is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. It is like a parent that chastens and corrects a child, not in anger, but in love, in a right measure, a proportionate measure, and is done in love. And is understood as an act of, of love as much as if that child has been given something like a present, something that is is beautiful to see. But it is to be more understood. And so it is in the cross especially that we can really uh, get a picture of the doctrine of the love of God. When Paul writes to the Ephesians, he speaks to them of the love of God. He says in verse 4 of the first chapter, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And joined to that love then is the choosing of the people of God. You might say, well, doesn't it say in John chapter 3 that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have eternal life? And that is true. That doesn't mean that God loves every individual in the world. But he loves the world as the world is where his people are, his chosen are. And for that purpose, he bestows goodness on them that love him and those that don't. He causeth his reign to reign upon the just and unjust, him that serveth God and him that serveth not. And very often we read in scriptures of the blessings even upon the ungodly because of the godly. 
We think of the blessing, blessings to Jehoram, who was an ungodly king of Israel, because of the presence of Jehoshaphat. And the prophet said that he would not even look toward Jehoram if it was not for Jehoshaphat being there. We think of the blessings that the whole ship had in when Paul was a prisoner going to Rome and he was one of the Lord's people and the Lord said that he would preserve him and all those that were with him in that ship. You remember when Abraham was pleading for Sodom and the Lord said that in that wicked evil city if there had been found ten righteous, ten of the Lord's people he would spare that whole city for their sake. And even so, now the world continues because God's people are in it. They're hidden. We do not know where they are, but they are in every nation, kindred and tongue and scattered through the world. And for that reason, the world will, remember, will remain and the mercies and the blessings that are given to it and to a nation, righteousness exalteth a nation, and sin is a reproach to any people, the blessings that come are because of a people that God has known eternally and has loved eternally. I've loved thee with an everlasting love, chosen in Christ from the foundation of the world. We must be very clear in this, that the love of God, it begins in God and is not foreseeing anything good in us, not foreseeing our exercising faith, it's not foreseeing that we would love him. There's no reason in us at all. With the children of Israel, the typical people of God, the Lord tells them in Deuteronomy that he did not choose them because they were more than other people, because they were less than other people. And when you read of the children of Israel and how they provoked the Lord to anger, how they went to idolatry again and again, they weren't a better people. We think of Jacob and Esau. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. The God of love actually says that there is one there in that same womb that is hated and one loved, one chosen, one not. And yet when you see in their lives many things that Jacob did, deceiving his own father, lying, those things that were wrong, he was not chosen because of any good that God foresaw in him. And this is why in one sense, it is a difficult doctrine because it is a love consistent with the sovereignty of God, the holiness of God and righteousness of God. And it all is in him. And it is to be believed and known that our God, the God of the world, the God of salvation, is a God of love. The God that brings salvation is a God of love. So the doctrine of the love of God 
set forth right through the scriptures and certainly in this chapter and we'll notice some other verses in it he deals very much John especially deals with the love of God of course in the case of God's dear people that love that is a saving love it is in and through the Lord Jesus Christ it is chosen in him thine they were the Lord says of the Father and thou gavest them me chosen in him from the foundation of the world an everlasting and eternal love So I want to then look secondly at the manifestation of the love of God. That is how it is shown to us. And this this is so vital for us, especially in a saving way. Perhaps just briefly to think of it in a natural way, to remember that in Adam we have fallen, in Adam... We have the sentence of death upon us and that we deserve nothing at all out of a deserved hell. Very often when we have a trouble with the love of God or the Lord's dealings with us is because we are expecting a certain level of benefits and goodness to be shown us. And when what God does to us in their lives, it doesn't come up to that, then we have some difficulty with the love of God. But when we view all of mankind under the wrath of God, under the sentence of God because of sin, and realise then that this God of love has found a way to show a love to a people that have been chosen from eternity, a love from eternity, but found a way to love them and still be holy and just and righteous and good. So how is it then manifested? How does God show his love? Well, John, in this very chapter, he gives us a summary of this very clearly in verse 9. He says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. And again, just reinforcing our text, herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, that's a wrath-ending sacrifice for our sins. So this is what is being said of the people of God and those that are not yet called, when they are called, they know that belongs to them as well and they're not to write themselves out, don't write yourselves out of these blessings and say, well, I want to know what is hidden first, I want to know first election or first God's eternal love, we want to know it in how this love was first manifested. The Holy Spirit shall receive, the Lord said, of mine and show it unto you. 
And our Lord said, None can come unto me except the Father which sent me draw him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ, again we said concerning Calvary, it really is the secret of all. Because when the Lord makes known his love to a sinner, it will be, as Christ said, I, if I be lifted up above the earth, will draw all men unto me. The drawing of the Father, the work of the Spirit, is to reveal this event that is set forth here that manifests or reveals the love of God towards us. We think how early it began with the first promise. As soon as Adam and Eve had sinned, then there was the promise of the seed of the woman that should bruise the serpent's head. The promise of the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, to be given. And, and that promise, of course, reinforced again and again right through the Scriptures, right through the prophets. Paul says in Romans 5, verse 8, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we may put it this way, while we were yet unregenerate, while we were yet uncalled, before we knew God, before we were brought to any assurance, any hope in him, that already that Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he's pointing to that order again that the Lord died for a people. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. This commandment I have received by my Father. Power to lay it down, power to take it again. And this promise, this gift of the Lord Jesus Christ is a manifesting the love of God, taking our nature, coming under the law and born of a woman and dying in our place. This you might say, well, that is outside of me. That, that is not yet directly related to me. You may say, everyone that is saved in this gospel day, before they are saved, when they come into this world as sinners and under condemnation, already... God has given his son, already he has come in our nature, already he has suffered, bled and died for our sins if we are the people of God. That already has all been done. But we do not know that. We don't have any assurance of that and we can have no way of knowing that though the love of God is shown in that way. 
But then the love of God is to be manifest or shown in a personal way. And that is by calling. In Jeremiah 31 and verse 3, we have those beautiful uh, words, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, and therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. And we have a joining together of the eternal everlasting love of God with a drawing, a calling, a quickening. And all of those that have been loved eternally, there will come that time that the Lord passes by them when they are in their blood and he bids them live. He gives them life. I give unto them eternal life They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of mine hand. The new birth, to be born again, and our Lord describes it to Nicodemus as being born of the Spirit, like the wind. You can hear the sound thereof. You cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Sometimes so softly, so gently and we have that all around us we think of springtime when the uh, dead trees start to spring out with the new growth you can't hear anything if you sat with a chair and stared at the branch you'd stare there for days and you'd hardly notice anything perhaps But you look at that branch and you come back a week later in the spring and suddenly there's all that growth and it's all springing out. You've heard nothing. It's been so gradual you haven't even perhaps noticed it day by day. If we go away for a couple of weeks, you come back and suddenly, well, everything is just so changed and so much has grown in that time. Those sort of things illustrate how the Lord works, gently, gradually, line upon line, here a little, there a little, and yet a change is being wrought. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Despise not the day of small things, of small things, The whole description of a real work of grace, God's saving grace being bestowed, is that the Lord Jesus Christ is being made manifest. He's been shown to a sinner. It's a great blessing, you know, if you can come into the house of God, maybe you only glean one thing from a sermon. But it's something you've seen in the Lord Jesus Christ you haven't seen before. Something that you know now that you didn't know before. And it whets the appetite. You want to know more. You want to hear a little bit more. And all the time there's that object. The hymn writer says, object of my first desire. Jesus crucified for me. And there's being a drawn to him. And this is how... God manifests his love to a sinner. He doesn't leave them in nature's darkness. He doesn't leave them without concern. He gives them a concern. He doesn't leave them content 
with not having that assurance and comfort and felt interest in him. They're brought to a point. It's a point I long to know. Often it causes anxious thought. Do I love the Lord or no? Am I his or am I not? And in that they're being drawn and it will be drawn to his person, to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the worldling, to those uncalled. He means nothing to them. A root out of dry ground, no form nor comeliness that we should desire him. To those who have been called, he become more and more needful, more and more precious. And the more we know our own sin, the more we feel our own sin, the more we realise that we need, we need this love that didn't foresee any good in us, that never expected it, that knew there would be nothing good in us, but had provided everything in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through his grace, through his mercy, that we stand. And so it is in calling the love of God is manifested, but then it doesn't stop there. It also goes to the chastening, the correction of his people. In Revelation chapter 3, in the letters to the churches, in verse uh, 19, we have written even to the Laodicean church, that church which was lukewarm, as many as I love, I rebuke, and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. A people that have been quickened, a people that are God's people, instead of being cast away, he corrects them. And that is known, isn't it, in our families. You wouldn't think the next door neighbour that would go into your house and correct our children. But our own father or mother, we'd expect that because they are our parents that they will correct us. And the Lord does that for his children. And there's been some very sweet times the Lord has given me an assurance of his love when he has corrected. Hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? Hebrews chapter 12. The Lord correcteth every son whom he receiveth. And that then is a manifestation of his love. We spoke of Romans, uh, Psalm 107, a love that is to be understood. And that is in the correction of the Lord as well. Another way that it is shown is in John Chapter 10, where the Lord speaks of himself as the good shepherd. The good shepherd given his life for the sheep, but not only gives his life for the sheep, but he goes before them. He putteth forth his sheep, he goeth before them. In Psalm 23, we read of him, the shepherd leading them beside the still waters, and in green pastures, he's providing for them 
food, spiritual food. Man shall not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Except ye eat my flesh and drink my blood, ye have no life in you. And again it is pointing to Calvary, to Christ and his sufferings, his shed blood, his broken body. These things are setting forth the love of God. It's no wonder that the Lord has instituted for the church of God the Lord's Supper, this do do ye in remembrance of me, ye do show forth my death uh, till he come. And it is to remember not just that precious blood shed at Calvary, not just his sufferings, but the love of God, the love of God to us before we loved him. And the church is to be reminded of that, to remember that. Sometimes we might say, like in Isaiah, the Lord hath forgotten me. Zion complaining that she seems forgotten. But the Lord says that can a woman forget her sucking child? Yea, she may forget, yet will I not forget thee. I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are ever before me. And so the Lord does not forget his people. When he visits them, he shepherds them, as his sheep, he provides for them that bread of life, the manna sent from heaven. All that he has, he bestows upon them. And all is done in love. And it's a blessed thing where we're able to trace that love. Where we're able to see love inscribed upon all that the Lord does, sometimes we can't see it immediately. We might be like Jacob and say all these things are against us, but we're to judge nothing before the time and be able to see, or even say with the psalmist in affliction, it's good that I was afflicted. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. May we have the love of God manifested to us, shown to us, revealed to us, a love to us, a particular love, a love bestowed upon us that we receive the benefits of that love and especially having our eyes opened, our ears opened and the Lord Jesus Christ himself being made precious to us. I want to come then to, lastly, the, our love to God in return. Peter, he thought that, he said, Though all men forsake thee, yet will not I. He felt that he loved the Lord even more than, than others, and that, that that would keep him from ever denying his Lord. But the Lord brought him to know by very painful experience that he was not able to keep himself. And he did deny the Lord, not once, but three times. 
But the Lord has said, I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And there we have the love of God. And afterwards, well, the Lord has said, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And afterwards, when he had been restored, that's really what is meant there, not conversion as to be born a believer, but restored again. The Lord met with him on the lake and he asked him those three times, Lovest thou me? Lovest thou me? You would think that Peter, having denied the Lord, really would have more valued the Lord saying to him, Peter, in spite of your denials, I still love you. But he didn't. He put it in the way of our text. And Peter well knew this. We love him because he first loved us. So the Lord is saying, lovest thou me? And Peter was able to testify to the love that he had. And then at last, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And that is our recourse. That the Lord does know what is in our hearts. Often we feel our love so cold, so faint, so far off. But even our natural love, it ebbs, doesn't it? With a husband, with a wife, with children. We believe, we know, we love them all the time. But sometimes it wells up with a real, such a strength and such a, a feeling within of real love to them. And so it is with the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is with the brethren. John also gives this witness that we know that we have passed from death unto life in that we love the brethren. And so in the verse after our text, if a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? This commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Now, right through the word of God, we have the effect, and I would say it is the effect, the fruit of the love of God to us first will always end up in obedience to the Lord. In the law of God, in, if we were to go back to uh, Exodus and to uh, chapter 20 with the giving of the law, we read of the Lord that he is showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. And so right there in the law, we have the joining of love and the keeping of the commandments of God. And joined with it is showing mercy unto thousands. Now mercy and earning something don't go together. So the Lord is not saying that those that keep my commandments earn heaven and get to heaven by their keeping of them. He's saying, no, they are saved by mercy. 
without works at all. But their being saved by mercy is evidenced in the keeping of the commandments. Not perfectly. No man ever can. That's why we need the Saviour. That's why we need him to keep the commandments for us, to suffer for us, to bleed for us. But the effect will be obedience. If we go back to uh, John's Gospel and uh, chapter 14, we read in verse 15, If ye love me, keep my commandments. And then down to verse 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. And we can easily put that in the other way around and say, I want to have the Lord manifesting himself to me and through that then I want to know that he loves me and then I'll keep his commandments. But where the Lord starts to show himself and shows his love. Another way of showing that love to us will be the outworking of it. How can I sin and do this thing, great thing against God? And it has regard to the commandments, including this, the whole word of God, not just the Ten Commandments, the whole revealed will of God. We won't have the attitude, well, I can see what the Lord requires me to do, but until I'm called and still the Lord changes my heart, I'm not going to do it. That won't be our attitude. The attitude will be, the Lord has shown us what is right, we desire to do it, we may fail to do it, like Paul said, the good that I would, I do not, the evil that I would not, that I do. And in desiring to walk in the right way, We have the same answer as Paul. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. And it brings us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so again in in chapter 15, John 15, uh, the Lord says, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And those blessings are all flowing out from the love of God first, bringing us then to walk in the ways that please him and that show forth that those things are being done by love, not by duty, not by thought to earn salvation, but because we've already been partakers of it. So in 1 John chapter 5 and verses 2 and 3, for by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Are not grievous. Those things the Lord would have us to walk in 
They are walked in in love. In verse 6 of the second epistle of John, And this is love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. And so, when we think of our love to God in return, the way it's set forth in the scriptures is obedience. The Apostle Paul on that Damascus road, how soon when he was converted, how soon he says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He wants to know what is the right way. He wants to know those things to do that shall please the Lord, not grieve him, not walk in a way that mirrors the world but mirrors the Lord. And so may we know the doctrine of the love of God and the manifestation of the love of God to us and also know something of the outworking of it. Our love to the Lord in return, the love of God constraining us, drawing us, bringing us to do what we would not do otherwise, but is done for love's sake. So may the Lord bless us with this love of God and may each one whom he has loved with an everlasting love Know that love and be persuaded of it. And Lord, shed abroad in your hearts that love of God by the Holy Ghost. Amen.